Listen to us now, live on the ESPN Chicago app. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. Jeff Meller, Brian Hanley, hanging out with you until 11 o'clock today here on ESPN 1000. And the headliner is Northwestern and them backpedaling quickly about what exactly the future holds for Pat Fitzgerald right now, who was initially suspended for two weeks without pay. That was done on Friday morning or was it Thursday? I'm trying to remember when exactly that initial suspension came about. Um, needless to say, though, there has been some reporting done by the Daily Northwestern, the school's student newspaper, that has brought more light to the allegations about hazing under Pat Fitzgerald's watch here. And the Northwestern president, Michael Schill, yesterday, uh, ga- uh, according to reports, uh, sent a letter to the Northwestern community and wrote that, quote, he may have erred in weighing the appropriate sanction for Pat Fitzgerald, Adam Rittenberg has been covering the story for ESPN, and he joins us now here on ESPN 1000, Miller and Hanley. Adam, um, what are your initial thoughts about what is going on right now at Northwestern? Yeah, good morning, guys. It's, it's certainly a ongoing, evolving situation from Friday to where we're at right now. Um, and I think there's certainly more to come because... There's going to be meetings today, I'm told, between President Schill and the board and, and other um, you know, university leaders as he's gotten more directly involved in this process. You know, they initially commissioned an outside uh, counsel investigator to do all the interviews and collect information. You know, that process wrapped up late last week. But, you know, now with, with what the Daily reported and the fact that, that Schill has, has reached out to the, um, the, the initial whistleblower, um, who I in full in full disclosure just spoke to um and uh he he told me he he also did speak with the president directly and so now there's a face to it now there's details to it and and obviously the response has changed from the initial two-week suspension of uh, of coach fitzgerald on friday to a reassessment of of what happened and, and and what could be coming and Adam, when the president of the university, Michael Schill, says that initially he focused too much on what the report concluded that Fitzgerald didn't know and not enough on what he should have known. And as the head coach uh, of one of our athletic programs, Coach Fitzgerald is uh, not only responsible for what happens within the program, but also must take great care to uphold our and maintain our commitment to the student experience. It is, and Pat Fitzgerald put out his own statement saying that he was unaware of the allegations and any incidents that did occur. Can you hold the football coach of any program to account for things he truly didn't know and is ignorance a defense here? Yeah, I think, I think it's a harder and harder defense, Brian, you know, if, you, if you're to believe you know, what, what the uh, former player came out with and, and in talking with him, how widespread he said, this behavior uh, was and how many people w- were involved that you know it was a, a large group of upperclassmen who who led the the, the quote-unquote running the, the hazing that would take place in the locker room and you know again according to him you know he, he believes that that Fitzgerald would would have these hand signals that would trigger um, you know a, a player to be put on this list to, to be hazed uh, you know probably a, a little bit later on they had these certain times of year that, 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 this, that this kind of t- took place and so Again, the, the investigators did not find enough evidence that um, that proved 
that that Coach Fitzgerald or any of the staff members uh, were aware. But um, you know, to, 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 kind of to your point, if it was this many people for 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 this many years, where 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 does the uh, buck stop? And it often does uh, you stop with the with the head coach of the program. And so you know, that's why there's. There, there's obviously a closer look be, being taken. I think the hard part here is that you know, there wasn't new information that came out in the Daily Northwestern, at least in, in Northwestern circles, because this individual who I just spoke to mm-hmm. said all of this to the investigators. So the, the, you know, maybe it wasn't presented the right way, or maybe the, the president you know, didn't, didn't uh, receive all the details that he needed to receive, or maybe you, you had to wait until there was a public backlash for, for, for them to, to look at it in a different light. So that's obviously taking place now, and, and, and we'll see where it leads. But uh, I, I would imagine some, some decisions are going to be made here relatively, so, uh, relatively soon. Adam Rittenberg, who's doing a great job covering this story about Northwestern and the suspension of Pat Fitzgerald amidst the hazing allegations. Adam, I found that fascinating, you saying that you spoke with the whistleblower and that he or she revealed to you that they made this information known to the investigation like immediately my thought is okay well when you have an internal investigation even if you bring an outside counsel the truth is that you as the entity tasking the investigation to to be at hand here you can basically dictate the terms of what you want to find out right like that is really really uh, damning to me to hear you say that the whistleblower made it known to the investigators that this was the case Right. And again, I haven't talked to the investigators. They likely would not share any details of those conversations. But this person was very uh, detailed. Um, they, they were prepared. And, you know, they told me when they first reached out to Northwestern's compliance office. They told me the date of the interview with, uh, with Maggie Hickey and one of her associates. They told me about the communication that they had after that point. So th- this was a very coordinated uh, a person um, in terms of, of, of what they presented to that, that group. And so, you know, again, that, that's where um, th- this is. Th- and I asked him, I mean, said, you know, wh- why do you think uh, it was only a two-week suspension after they knew all that information? And again, maybe it was because they didn't get enough verification from other players. You know, certainly there, there were denials from the coaching staff. Uh, there's obviously a lot of support still for um, for that culture and for 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 Coach Fitzgerald. But th- th- this person's point to me was, of course, they're going to be supportive because they were either engaged in it or they were they were standing by while it was going on. And uh, and and again, in in the summary that came out Friday, there was no individuals named, even though there was uh, you know clearly stated in there that that the allegations were corroborated. Um, just uh, but 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 there were, there wasn't anyone singled out. Uh, other than other than again the, the the two week suspension for a coach who who was not proven to have known what what had happened in the program and, and I'll speak for myself uh, most people who've been around Pat Fitzgerald very surprised that he would be implicated in any of it whether it's to deny that he had any uh, knowledge that this was going on under his uh, supervision um, but the fact is he's here's here's where we are with him. And I, I was saying, I go back to Randy Walker, when you were a student uh, journalist at Northwestern, Adam, and Randy Walker would always say, well, it's not a democracy around here. You know, if you asked him what the players thought about something, every college football coach I ever covered, or most everyone, believed that they were the czar, and uh, there was no wiggle room on that. It, they, they believed they knew everything about everything about their program, and no one was going to tell them otherwise. So 
you really can't have it both ways. You can't believe that. Uh, and, and by the way, two of the sanctions uh, initially from the university was no more Kenosha training camp because basically they're saying we can't trust you to, to be up there with a coaching staff that uh, has question marks. And we're going to have a locker room monitor that won't report to the football staff, will report to the university administration. How does that even work? I mean, basically you're telling me you don't trust the coaching staff anymore. Right, and he, and you know just as well as I do, Brian, how how, you know, how that locker room is 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 a sacred place, and you don't want anyone in there um, who is unaffiliated with 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 the coaching staff or with the team. And you know, again, th- these these incidents, these these alleged incidents, took place uh, in in the locker room. Um, I was told by by the uh, whistleblower earlier today that, that 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 really no no staff were in there. Obviously, when 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 they took place, the lights were off. It was a kind of a very scary type of situation um uh, especially for those who are going through it so it, you know again that, that 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 was sort of an under under uh, reported or under uh, there wasn't much, much attention on those other penalties but but that's that's certainly something that's going to affect uh, the, this team going forward to have somebody in that room who who is essentially an outsider we also adam rittenberg joining us here on espn 1000 adam we also earlier played the video, the old video that surfaced back from 2014 when Pat Fitzgerald talked about having a zero tolerance policy for hazing. Do you think now that, you know, living in the age of social media that we live in, do you think that having that out there will in any way um, expedite a possible termination for him? I think the the, the question is, is, is ultimately what they believe he knew of this. Um, you know, this this whistleblower who I spoke to was very clear in in, in saying he, he believes that uh, that that there was an absolute cause and effect that that from this clapping that would mm-hmm. go on at practice to people getting put on a, a whiteboard in the locker room and then they were then hazed at, at different points of the year before the season. They did it on Thanksgiving Day. I guess they did it on Christmas before the uh, bowl game. So kind of very odd times of the year. So. Um, you know, it, it depends if, again, uh, if there needs to be more investigation, if, if, if uh, you know, in conversations directly between the president and this player and his family, they, they now believe something different mm-hmm. about, about Pat and, and his knowledge. But I, I think, that, again, the tricky thing is you did an investigation, you completed the investigation, and you determined that, there, the, that the head coach you know, was, was not aware, of, you could not prove he, he had enough awareness of, of what had happened. So I, I don't know how you necessarily go back on that. And you always have to, there's always a money element component to all of this stuff. And Pat just signed reportedly a, a contract extension for 10 years in 2021. They will reportedly pay him $57 million when it's all said and done. We know he's the youngest football coach when he took over for Randy Walker after Randy passed. Um, everyone believed that Pat Fitzgerald, as long as he wanted to stay in Evanston, would stay in Evanston. And anytime. There were talks of uh, Michigan or the Chicago Bears making entrees or, or rumors or whispers to Pat. He got rewarded. And meanwhile, the he's oh, barely over 500 in 17 years, which I guess at Northwestern some people still celebrate. But the last few years haven't been great on the field either. They haven't. I mean, last year was the worst uh, worst record since 1989. Um, really, the, 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 the still the dark ages for the program. He's the winningest coach in team history. He's done overall a, a very good job. I mean, you take out, uh, you know, three, you know, you, you, you look at twenty twenty oh seven to, to twenty eighteen. That's that's the most consistent stretch stretch of of successful football in in modern history at Northwestern. But lately, it, it has been rough, and now you have this 
um, going into the 2023 season, just weeks away from the start of preseason practice. So the the timing is is not great. But from you know from from what I know in covering the sport, and I know you have for years too, Brian. It's very difficult to fire coaches for cause, uh, especially oh, after you've done an investigation. And so I think you know no because matter how they, it they, turns they, out, if yeah, whoever's might be interested in taking that job doesn't want to be walking away without a, a dime in his pocket. You know that you. You always have to cut a check, whether you believe that's right morally or ethically or any other way. It's it's what the future is going to hold and what the market's going to hold. And, and how did you treat the guy on the way out the door? For, for, for absolutely. And, and certainly from a performance uh, standpoint, you could make a case there. I think that the, the challenging thing here is that the program has really been known for, for having a, a very upstanding mm-hmm. culture. You know, Northwestern doesn't have a lot of guys arrested, a lot of guys that get in trouble. And if, you know, these allegations, you know, again, which have been corroborated to a degree, but, 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 but maybe more so in the coming days, it really stains the, the overall all program and, and, and what's been built there. If, if this many people were involved in this type of behavior and so many people were, were subjected to it and afraid to come forward, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a black eye. So we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here, but it's certainly a, a very uh, delicate time right now in Northwestern. Yeah, Adam, you, uh, just to wrap us up here, uh, you, that's, I think, the key point here. For a long time, Pat Fitzgerald, Brian, brings up his record a little bit over 500 in his career. But, you know, oftentimes the university could put Pat Fitzgerald up, who was clearly the face of yep. this organization, for, you know, like in, there was obviously a period of time where he wasn't with. But from 1995, as the captain of the team that went to the Rose Bowl and was, you know, the uh, the biggest success story in this city in terms of college football for a long, long time, and probably still is. They were that, that, that tie that linked to that magical season. And then to have him as your face for so long, uh, you know, you could sometimes look at the record and say, okay, maybe they're not going to necessarily be able to compete with Ohio state, but oftentimes they could put the university up on a pedestal and say, our student athletes are truly students. But now if you've got this, you know, this black mark on your resume. I don't really know how you continue to go forward with Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah, I think a lot of people have, have brought that up and, you know, what, what he's meant to the program, but also what's come out lately um, and what could still be coming out going forward. It's a very difficult uh, situation, one that, you know, certainly nobody who, who loves Northwestern football wants, wants to be in, but it, it's, it, it's the reality here. Um, and, uh, you, you know, the fact that, again, a lot of this was corroborated, um, even though it was just the single individual who came forward in, 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 in November. And, um, and even though the team is obviously still supportive, uh, given the, the statement that came out yesterday, um, it's, 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 it's certainly a, a difficult situation and, and one that, um, it, it's, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think a lot of people think it's hard to, to look at that program and say, uh, and see Pat Fitzgerald coaching them in the fall and for many years to come in light of what's happened here in the last few days. One quick one. We'll let you go, Adam. appreciate your time as always. If the Daily Northwestern hadn't written that initial story, would we have even known that there was an internal investigation and they found what they found and, and would there have been sanctions and would they have been sanctions that weren't, weren't made public? No, I, I mean, that, they announced the investigation back in January, and, and obviously they announced the findings on Friday. Um, so I think that, that, that part of it all obviously would have been out. But the details, um, uh, but, the, the, you know, but the, the graphic details, details yeah, yeah. 
Sure. I mean, I think I think again, it, it was incumbent on on the the whistleblower, on this former player, to come forward as he has to to the daily and to me today, um, and and provide you know details and information uh, that that are that are pretty damning, honestly. Uh, even though it is you know, j- just him, he, he he told me there's there's a lot more players who who feel this way or have been through this, and 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 we'll see if they also corroborate the story. And some of them already did with the investigators. So uh, yeah, I think if, if if that details if those details don't come out though. I think it's it's whatever happened Friday, and, and they move forward, and he's back on the job in a couple of weeks. Plenty more details to come involving this story. Clearly, Adam Rittenberg is all over it for ESPN. Adam, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate it, man. Okay, thanks. Appreciate that. Thanks, me. Adam. Adam Rittenberg covering college athletics for ESPN. He's a senior writer for ESPN.com. He's been there a long time, and as Brian mentioned, also an alum of Northwestern who uh, worked at the Daily Northwestern. I used to sit next to him at football and basketball games. Always knew Adam was going to make a name for himself in this uh, business, and he has. Yeah, so he would clearly be all over the story. As he mentioned, it was great to get him on because he's talked with the whistleblower just uh, you know, within the last hour or so. So great to hear that perspective as we continue to cover this ongoing story here on ESPN 1000. I'm Jeff Meller. He's Brian Hanley, hanging out with you till 11 on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. Andrew Vaughn, the hitter. First pitch swinging, belted in the left. This one's going to go. Four to three White Sox, two home runs in the inning. Andrew Vaughn gives the Sox the lead. Connor McKnight on the call of Andrew Vaughn's last homer, I believe it was uh, back in early June, maybe, when Andrew Vaughn homered for the 12th time on the season. We were talking a little bit about the Major League Baseball draft and what you can actually expect when your team makes a player their first-round pick. And I'll tell you, Bri, Andrew Vaughn is somebody who, he was selected third overall in 2019, was regarded as the, for the most part, the best hitter in that draft. And he was, I think, because of the hopes for a championship window and the, again, lack lack of depth in the White Sox organization, he was forced into action Back in 2021, where he was playing, you know, outfield, and that was, you know, he did a serviceable job, but you have to wonder if that maybe, you know, they expedited his trip to the majors, and you wonder if it was maybe done at the expense of his development as a hitter at the minor league levels, because he's arrived and he's been fine. He currently has an OPS of 759. He's got 12 homers, 53 RBIs, you know. I believe, uh, you know, uh, Luis Robert finally passed him in RBIs because he's been on fire over the last couple of weeks. But, you know, he's been a productive hitter. But when you draft a guy third overall, you want more than a productive hitter, especially when he's regarded as the best hitter in that draft. And by the way, you, you, you know, and we I agreed with certainly the time saying uh, farewell to Jose Abreu because you wanted to get Andrew Vaughn at first base. And get him comfortable and see those numbers start going up and on a more consistent basis, see what the ceiling is. Because you think you knew what the ceiling, you, you thought you had an idea what the ceiling was, and, and he was going to be able to reach it more quickly if he was at his natural position, not playing on the outfield. But yeah, third overall pick, you expect more consistency, you expect better. The numbers aren't bad, um, and relative to the rest of the team, they're they're actually very good. But when you have a team that still has the lack of the highest swing rate and the least number of pitches seen per plate appearance in the American League. 
and that's been an issue, getting on base, on base percentage. So when you do finally hit a home run, it's usually a solo home run. It begs the question, is it the approach? Is it the roster architect, type of player you're drafting and developing? Are you developing said players? Is it even the new coaching staff not getting the message across to them? We talked about it a week or so ago. You did White Sox Weekly, and they had the the uh, high padding up around uh, for batting practice around the, yep. the mound so that guys would mentally see a barrier and try to lift the ball in the air because yep. they're a ground ball hitting team. And for a few games, it seemed to translate. But when you aren't patient at the plate, you're not getting on base, and yet now the home runs, you know, are, are other than Luis Robert, where are they coming from on a regular basis? The answer really nowhere. I mean, how do you how do you change it? Is it is it a an organizational problem? Is it simply a frustration problem? Guys are just up there trying to do anything because of the the way the team has gone south, not only this year but last year. So now they're just. They don't want to be patient. They don't want to wait for their pitch. Anything close, they're going to try to drive, and the you know the, the result end result usually isn't that they're driving the ball. It's hard to win baseball games consistently in 2023 when your lineup is littered with players who don't take walks. And sure, if I have a guy who takes a walk like Andrew Benintendi, the occasional walk who you're paying a premium for, by the way, the highest contract in the organization's history. Who doesn't homer? Well, then that's not necessarily a, you know a great balance. I need a guy who can exhibit power at the plate, but also have patience where mm-hmm. he can command the strike zone, work a pitcher, and draw the occasional walk. The reason, time and time again, the White Sox are hitting solo home runs is because they don't draw walks on a consistent basis. Sure, you know I, I know the rallying cry a lot of times for people who want to see they they wanted to see their team play small ball right like like get get the single you know get a couple runners on base get them on get them over get them in but again it's 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 a different era of baseball it's much harder to do to string together three consecutive hits and oftentimes that's what you need to do is string together three consecutive hits if you're going to drive in a run because single single unless you're have some really aggressive base running which by the way that's also been a, a Achilles heel by this White Sox team is the base running right mm-hmm. so it's very difficult to string together three consecutive hits. So if you're not going to string together three consecutive singles to drive in a run, then you probably need to draw a walk from time to time. And the White Sox can't do that. So yeah, it's very difficult in this age of baseball to single. And then it's also, you know, if you want to uh, score some more runs, it'd be nice to have some guys on base. So draw a walk if you can't hit those singles. And they have accumulated a bunch of hitters who can't really do that at the major league level at a high level of success. And yesterday was a prime example of that. You have four singles and 95 pitches thrown to the Chicago White Sox, and two of those were back-to-back in the ninth inning Yeah, against Miles Mikolos. I mean, it wasn't exactly who uh, will not be uh, punching up his Hall, no. Hall of Fame speech anytime soon, right? And by the way, one of the few guys in baseball who's in a starting rotation who doesn't strike out a lot of hitters. Right. Like, he pitches to contact. So yeah, when you get you know what I mean, like you got four hits against Miles Michaelis, that's one of the guys in the league who you don't necessarily have to worry about striking out against. You can actually put the ball in yep. play. It, yeah, it's it. I think you know it all comes back to two when you don't want to spend money. Like that's fine. You can you can we can all point to the Tampa Bay Rays, but if you're not doing things at their level, then it's fool. It's a foolish errand to just try and sell your fan base and say we're going to win you know because we're going to be smarter than the rest of baseball 
clearly they're not. Whether, you know, Luis Robert, for all his strides that he's made, you know, again, he doesn't really draw a whole lot of walks. And so he's your best player. And I think he, I'd say he's basically lived up to all the hype that you could have hoped for when you look at this season and the way it's playing out. He's as good as you could have realistically expected him to be when you when you brought him in. And everybody around him is is not doing their job. Well, speaking of uh, the, the Tampa uh, Rays, if I'm Jed or Rakan, I'm on the phone. Lucas Giolito yes. is going to get dealt to some team. They need they finally hit some adversity here. What, six, seven game losing seven, streak? Seven in a row right. for the Rays. Yeah, and, and as they head into the last game before the break, they need at least one starting pitcher. So yes. Giolito... Uh, Marcus Stroman, they still have a pretty stocked yes. um, farm system, and they're going to go for it this year. And they might want to, you know, I, I, their phone's going to be ringing, or they're going to be making phone calls on on you know the GM cell phone. And I, I would hope that the the, the Chicago is uh, well represented in those calls. Lucas Giolito makes uh, start today for the White Sox at Guaranteed Rate Field. First pitch at 110. We'll have your pregame coverage coming your way at 1230 today. Lucas Giolito up against Steven Matz. Um, listen, every time Lucas Giolito goes out and bitches, it could theoretically be his last start for the White Sox. So it's something certainly to keep an eye on. I'm sure I'd be surprised if today was his last start because the White Sox seem to want to claim. Could be his the- last start at home for sure. Oh, definitely. They, definitely. End up, they open up on the road, a very tough schedule coming out of the All-Star break. But I always say, too, the team that is willing sometimes to go ahead and make a deal um, a little bit before the trade deadline starts, and oftentimes we'll see the first big deal come right out of the All Star break when teams have kind of like made peace with where they're and at. And they're also talking exactly. through the uh, you know in Seattle for the next couple of days. So just be aware, White Sox fans, that every time Lucas Giolito does go to the mound, it could be his last for the White Sox. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. If you want to talk with us, Mel and Hanley hanging out with you up next, man. There is an exciting young player in baseball who just keeps doing something amazing every time he seems to step on the field. We'll let you hear what he did yesterday here on ESPN 1000. If you miss something, get the podcast on the ESPN Chicago app. This is ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. So the Cubs split a four-game series with the Milwaukee Brewers earlier this week. And, you know, I know a lot of people... Weird way to do it. It was absolutely... Up up 6-0. It felt like after the first game, and then into the second game, it was like, oh boy, the the Cubs are... That uh, final nail in their coffin for the season is going to be done here. And then... They bounce back on the second game. Yes, to come back. And then they end up coughing it up in that fourth game where you're like, oh, okay, you could have taken three of four. And, and you needed to, by the way. Yeah. And not only could you have, you should have, or you needed to anyway. But, meanwhile, while you were squaring off with the Brewers, the Reds just go ahead and keep on doing some odd things. Man, they have now won, it is six of their last seven and um, nine of their last 11, Bry. They're continuing to find ways to win without, it seems like, any real pitching to speak of and they have a negative they're, they're a negative run differential minus eight even though they're 50 and 40 they're doing it on the road 27 and 19 mm-hmm. they're a couple games over 500 at, at their own ballpark 
And against you know better than five hundred teams, they're twenty one and twenty two. And I, you know a few weeks ago, I'm like, oh, they're they're going to come back to earth at some point. So even when the Cubs had that little spurt you know, before they went to London, and you know the Reds keep hitting the accelerator, or at least maintaining a winning record, going seven or eight out of ten. And they need pitching, and they they're that again not doing the traditional way. They're not protecting their home field. They're doing it on the road. I. It's it's a weird division. Maybe it's just a weird year. So and and I said they've won nine of their last eleven. Um, remember that comes on the heels of a three game losing streak. But prior to that, they had won twelve in a row. Yeah. And honestly, if you look at their schedule and results, the only two that they lost in that little stretch there were to you know that were the Braves. The Braves beat them seven to six for consecutive games after they had won 12 in a row. And, oh, by the way, if you haven't noticed, the stand Braves... In, stand in line. Everyone, the everyone Braves are, the Braves are, yeah. are ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I, maybe we don't pay close enough attention to what they are because we're so locked in on the Central Divisions from time to time. But if you haven't noticed, the Atlanta Braves are absurd. They are 60-28, and 28 and they've got a run differential. Plus 153, Brian. They're, I mean, if they score five runs to, uh, today, they will have 500 on the season, which would be behind only the Texas Rangers. And the crazy thing is for the Braves, they basically have they have every significant piece in their lineup and in their rotation locked up to a long-term deal. Unbelievable. I mean, you can just call the division right now because Miami's nine and a half back. But <laughs> they, I, it's just... And there go the Mets with their, what, $350 million payroll yes. sitting uh, just above uh, the, uh, in between the Nationals and the Phillies. And yes. I, unfortunately, I put, Phillies are playing better. I had put a preseason uh, wager on them as a, a World Series contend, uh, to be in the yes. World Series, not necessarily to win, win the pennant. Yeah, yeah win the pennant. It uh, doesn't look too good right now. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's a weird year, but boy, Atlanta just loaded and they, just nothing, nothing, nothing stops them. Well, yeah. And Ronald Acuna has figured out the whole uh, pitch clock and using it to his benefit because he's an awesome hitter, but like for stolen bases, like nobody can seem to throw him out. He has uh, 21 homers and what is it? Is like 35 steals now? I haven't checked uh, in a couple days, but he's on pace for like 40, 70, Brian. He's got 41 steals. Uh, my apologies. He's got 41 steals. In 88 games. Yeah. So uh, just uh, keep an eye on him. He's been overshadowed a little bit by Shohei Otani well, this season. Um, but one player who I don't think has been overshadowed since he has been called up to the major leagues is Ellie De La Cruz of the Cincinnati Reds. And man, oh, man, like it seems like he, he does something exciting every time he steps on the field. And if you missed it yesterday, how about this? He stole three bases in two pitches. This is courtesy of Bally Sports Ohio in Cincinnati. 0-2 again. Line beyond the Dallas base hit. Friedel scores the Reds' first lead on the bat of Ellie De La Cruz. De La Cruz goes. Pitch called a strike. Throw down on a skip late. Another steal. He takes off again. Pitch down and in. Fade throw. There's no chance. Two steals. Santa Cruz had already looked a couple of times at Brian Anderson, knowing that if he got a job. Hey, wait a minute. Right, he made it look like they were little leaguers out there. Yeah, that's what the best kid does on the little league field. Is he coaxes the team into throwing the ball back to the pitcher, and as the catcher, just 
softly tosses it back to the pitcher. He takes off for home. You just heard that, home. the Bally Sports crew. They're just oh, okay. That the play's over. Let's talk a little. Oh, hey, hey, he's going home. It was awesome. If you haven't uh, seen it, check out the video because uh, he is just you know a player. I you know I I never. I think I was talking to Len Casper when I was doing White Sox Weekly a couple weeks ago, and I, I mentioned to him like. That's one thing when a, a new, young, exciting player comes up, I can never get enough of them. I remember the last time I felt like I do about Ellie De La Cruz was probably with Fernando Tatis Absolutely. Jr. Right? Like just a player who you haven't seen before but comes in and immediately is a great player. You might have seen him in the Sox organization. If you look really hard. Hey, big J- big game, James. Worked out well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Uh. What might have been? What might have been? Uh, let's try Ray, uh, Ray. Ray, you're on with Hanley and Miller. What's going on, man? You want to talk about the Braves a little bit here? Yeah, I was wondering how are the Braves able to survive without Swanson at shortstop? <laughs> 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 yeah. You know, uh, he's such a great player. Mm. Uh, how are they doing good? And last year, the Astros mm. lost Correa and Springer mm-hmm. and won the World Series. Interesting, huh? How do these teams do this? Listen, it's good. It's more than one. It's 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 great scouting by the organization, and it's a, it's a it's an interesting point, right? Like Dansby Swanson, I think the Cubs have been happy with what they've sure. gotten from him, right? Yeah, yeah. But he also was one of the few players, as I mentioned, who the Braves didn't really feel the need to go out and lock up to a long term deal. They were in conversations with him, but they weren't going to overpay. No. They're, they're look at the organizational chart and say, you know, we'll be okay. I mean, you would know, like in a perfect world, love to have you stick around. But yeah, I love I love the the sarcasm no, from it, our caller Ray. It, no, it is How a great. How could they possibly be doing this? They like they've locked up Sean Murphy, Matt Olson, Ozzy Elbies, Austin Riley, Michael Harris, and Ronald Acuna. Um, that is one, two, three, four, five, six of the main hitters in their lineup. They have locked locked up to long term deals, and they also uh, signed Spencer Strider this uh, this season to a long term deal. The ace of their staff. So basically the foundation of a team that is the best in baseball right now with a bunch of young players, young and exciting players, is locked up for a long, long time for the Braves. Scary stuff. Yeah, so uh, it is not great. The only good thing I'll say is if you are a baseball fan, Ray, is that you can look at, you know, their, the, the Major League Baseball playoffs, it is the, the, the playoffs which is the most random, right? Like you get three and five game series where, you know, anything can kind of happen in a one-off for baseball. And so that's why, you know, as good as the Braves are, you get to the playoffs. And that's why you always heard Theo Epstein talk about it, right? Like just get to the playoffs and, and hopefully kind of get lucky at the right time. Your yep. hitters are going well. Your pitchers are going well. Baseball is the one random sport or, or, or the sport where it's most random in the playoffs. And so I think that's probably if you're a team who's not in the NL East, that's the one thing you can cling to is that maybe we can get real lucky against the Braves in a yeah, short if series. If you have at least two or three starters and you get in, then that's that gives you a leg up usually in a series if you have three guys you can count on. So we got some good news in the city for a longtime colleague who Brian and I both know well. Um, Want to mention that coming up next. And also the NBA play, not play in, but the NBA midseason tournament. What do we think about that? We'll chat about it next here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. Jeff 
Miller, Brian Hanley, hanging out with you till 11 o'clock here today on ESPN 1000. Again, White Sox pregame coverage starts at 1230 today as they conclude the first half of the baseball season against the Cardinals at Guaranteed Rate Field. Lucas Giolito up against Stephen Matt's first pitch at 110. Wanted to uh, no nine inches of rain today. So no, they'll no. get that one in. They'll have a window. Yeah, we were uh, last week previewing the Grand Park 220, which I have to say, Bry, um, I, I'm not an NASCAR guy at all, but it was entertaining at least for a one-off for me. I enjoyed it. I watched more almost the entire race. I did too, and I was watching with friends and, and none of us NASCAR people. And Fourth of July, everyone's hanging out doing their and, and you know nine inches of rain will keep you inside, yes. but. Um, I just asked you during the break. I'm not sure. I, 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 they're here for two more years as long as both sides agree. I guess there's a, yeah. a six, as long as one side wants to bow out six months before the race, they can pull the plug and people are saying it wasn't worth the effort for the city and they didn't benefit from it. But yes, I don't know. I'd watch it a second time, but I watched almost the entirety of it last week. And I know they're going to talk about changing the course because those. <laughs> At 35, 40 mile an hour, there someone who's always in the in the pile of tires. And, yes, you know, a little help, need a little help here. So I I I don't know. I'd watch it in year two or three, but it it was it was interesting. It was a spectacle, I suppose. Yeah, my uh, I had an argument with my son. My thirteen year old was like, "Why aren't they going faster?" And I said, "Well, they're professional drivers, Alex. Chances are they recognize that if they go any faster, they're going to crash." And he just looked back at me, and this is what it's like arguing with a 13-year-old. He said, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they can go faster. <laughs> They're professional. And I just shrugged my shoulders, and I said, okay. Yeah. You go, you, you, when you get your driver's license, you go give it a try, buddy. Um, but, yeah, it was I, for a one-off, I enjoyed it. I'm not sure, though. I will watch much more of it in the future if they return. And definitely, um, it would probably be, if they do have, have come back next year, it'd be better to probably give them a little more course to actually – Pick up the speed a little bit. So then go faster. Yes. So we can all be impressed by how fast they are capable of going. Um, all right. So the NBA is uh, looking to generate some interest like NASCAR did with their streetcar race. They are officially going to go through with the in-season tournament. And Brian, you were trying to explain to me the groups and format for I was trying to explain to myself. I, I read through it about 10 times. All it can do is boil down because there, there are so many yes. ends and widths, and then therefore this team will do that. Pot it, it, one, pot three, pot yeah, four. Yeah, there, yeah, there's groups of five, and those will be your regular season games, 81, 82. I, you know, if you're really interested, go try to discern exactly what the, the final four is in Vegas in November or early December, right? Yep, yes. And uh, there's money, a nice uh, pot of money, half a million dollars to each player on the winning team. I, it, it's I, I, I guess. Are you telling me the regular season's already dull in November, and so you needed to juice this thing, or you just couldn't do it in February because the All Star Game and you have trade deadline and everything else? You just had to squeeze it in somewhere. But it's based on kind of the soccer model, European soccer model, right? Correct. So, yeah, the NBA Cup, as I believe it's going to be officially called, um, in soccer in the the uh, the top leagues across. Across Europe, essentially every league has its own individual tournament, which happens. The only difference, I guess, would be in in soccer versus what they're attempting to do here in basketball is it essentially these these in season tournaments that happen in soccer they run concurrently as the league's happening. There's not like 
a stoppage where they go and play these. What happens is these tournaments occur during the season. But and th- and this will too. The initial rounds are, will be on spe- uh, specified days. Regular season games will just be designated designated as uh, tournament games, but they'll also be regular season count for the regular season record until they get to Las Vegas. Then, then you'd have a- yeah. Which yeah. So it's you know it's a little different in that regard. But nevertheless, like I, I from a soccer perspective, when I look at it, what what I can tell people is that. The nice thing about these in-season tournaments for soccer is that it gives other clubs an opportunity to win something. And in soccer, where oftentimes it's very, you know, uh, the top five or six teams in each league are, are heavily favored and it's very difficult for them not to win their leagues. Um, it gives other teams something to play for. And ultimately, the fan bases or the supporters of the clubs, they do really revel when their team wins one of these trophies. And I think... At, with some time, I think the NBA, you know, I think some it'll give your, you know, if the Bulls go and win this in-season tournament, it will never, like, replace or, or you know, be on par with an NBA championship. But I do think there will be, I, I think it will bring some fan bases a little bit of interest and some joy to see, hey, we remember that year we won the, 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 the tournament. It It'll give you something to look back on and it'll... It's it's another it's it's a trophy for the trophy case I guess but I think fan bases will find some they'll find some reason to, to kind of like garner some support around hey, it. Hey, when when Lonzo's back for that, I'm I'm all on the Bulls bandwagon. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm counting on it. So you you heard it here. I they got a great shot because I think he's coming back. Um, what? So I I, I it, it's it's something to celebrate. Ultimately, it will never be as good as an NBA championship, but I think it'll be for you know these this whatever this couple week period where they have the, the group stage and then eventually the uh, the turn the uh, finals or whatever. I think it'll give teams a little more interest because listen, one and done that that in itself always is it, it brings that extra added element of you know do or die that you don't have all the sure. time. So. Well, I mean, look, it gives the Bulls one more thing to aspire to, right? It might be our only thing, you know, hey, maybe they're hot going into that four-week period or so. Um, we did want to mention, too, a, a, a longtime colleague, Harry Tynowitz, got some great news regarding him in the last uh, last couple weeks. Yeah, he's recovering Northwestern Hospital. If you follow him on Twitter, you, you see he keeps you up-to-date. He's getting great care. He's uh, in really good spirits. He's just... It's so good to see a really good guy. He got his transplant. Yeah, liver and, transplant. And he's back uh, to being airy and, and even making jokes about people. Hey, people said I, I was really yellow. Was I yellow? I mean, he's, he's even laughing at a very dire situation, which is now a very optimistic situation. So our best to Harry and, and his family and everyone's helping him out at Northwestern Hospital. Also, it's uh, my brother Bernie's birthday today, big 65. So happy birthday. Uh, my One of my other brother's texting at him oh social security and ARP <laughs> big and, b day yeah and uh, discounts senior discounts for everything early bird specials it's a it's a mile post birthday for uh, for my brother all right good uh, good stuff happy birthday bernie hanley um thanks to jake Cantu for producing this morning we appreciate it jake as always and uh thanks to you brian for uh, making things easy today yeah it's fun as always we'll talk next week sounds good all right he's brian hanley i'm jeff meller don't forget white Sox pregame coverage coming up at 12 30 as the white Sox conclude the first half of the season against the cardinals first pitch coming your way at 110 thanks for listening folks i'm jeff meller he's brian hanley this is espn 1000